Entertainment. I'm your host, Ralph Capiano, and I'm talking about the Northman today with Evan Northrup. Um, Let's go. I just put it together that your name is Northrup. We're talking about the Northman. This was your most anticipated movie of the year when we talked about that yeah, earlier man. this year. Um, what did you think? You just got out of the theater. Um, are you going to go start bench pressing after this pod? Yeah, I think I mean, I'm just going to go back and see it again in half an hour. Um, no, that, mm-hmm. that movie was incredible, man. I, I enjoyed that so much. Um, well worth the wait. I had to wait an extra three days, which was rough, but just incredible. I'm trying to kind of collect my thoughts. It's weird, you know, like loving movies. You're always in this place when something's coming out that you love where you want to know everything about it, but at the same time, you want to see it fresh. And I kind of went with the mm-hmm. latter. Like, I haven't read anything about it. I didn't know much about it except for a little bit of what he was basing it on and, you know, all of that stuff. So I haven't heard people talk about it. I really just have my own thoughts and I'm trying to get them together. But all together, just a great movie. Great time. So I don't give a fuck about like Vikings or Icelandic folklore or even sure. this time period, right? Like this is not something that like intrigues me. And mm-hmm. I think that's the strength of Eggers and the cast here is that they made me so invested in a two and a half hour story that just mm-hmm. flew by. Like I could, I've been noticing myself recently in theaters where like, you know, I try to be as focused as I can at all times. But recently there have been movies where like I check my phone very quickly just to see like, what time it is. I do the math of how much time is left in the movie. And I didn't do that once in the Northman. This is a movie that like, it just like, it takes you by the fucking neck and it chokes you out for mm. 140 minutes. Dude, hundred percent. I know that like you watch a ton of movies and I watch a ton of movies and I think you get fatigued when you feel like you're seeing similar stuff. And even if it's something that's, you know, been applauded, they can tell you it's really great when you're watching it. It's when you've watched a movie every day or two movies every day or whatever for the past so long it can be still this kind of put you to sleep experience not always in a bad way and this movie was the furthest thing from that i could talk about it is everything was interesting everything kept you in whether it's the action or all the just you know bad shit stuff that he throws into his movies kept me so engaged never thought about how long it was never thought that you know i wanted this to end nothing like that it's an adrenaline rush from the rip like the first shot that Mm -hmm. they have of that wonky bird just going across the camera and then the more normal bird. And then he does the zoom in or I don't even know what it is. I guess it's like a in air, like almost drone dolly where he's going across the ocean onto the land. And we get that yeah. close up of Alexander Skarsgård's mini me's face. Um, I'm not going to be able to pronounce any of their names. I mean, we can try, but like Amleth, what, can we just call him Hamlet? Hamlet. I mean, he's, yeah. We can, well that's Hamlet. what it sounded like in the movie until I read it on IMDb. I thought they were saying, you know, Hamlet pretty much. Um, yeah, I don't know. And like what you said with all the shots, I mean, I don't want to spend too much talk- time talking about this because it's pretty just obvious, but this movie is gorgeous. It's incredible. Yeah. There's some shots or <laughs> the background, it's just insane. And it's such a like, not to just harp on what movies are now, but such a breath of fresh air when every fucking background in some of these movies we watch is some CGI shit. And then Robert Eggers mm-hmm. is throwing in like a waterfall in Iceland that just looks just absolutely insane. The movie was incredibly beautiful. I think you raised a good point about the fatigue. It's like, you know, we have to, I have to watch all these movies and go see them in theaters, like as soon as they release for 90 second movie reviews for the podcast, all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And it feels like homework sometimes. Sure. Like I'll go into it and I'm always excited to go to the movie theater and see a movie because I'm willing to give everything the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. But when I saw this, it was like, oh, this is like why I'm actually doing this. This is why I give a fuck about <laughs> movies. It reminds you why you love them. And it's like, this is an original story, big budget, huge cast. 
and a director that has a singular vision that nobody else can make this movie. Like there's mm-hmm. nobody else in the world that would be like, you know what? Let's actually shoot a lava scene or two dudes yeah. fighting naked. It's like nobody dude. Who else, who else even thinks of that? Like it's like maybe yeah. well, actually I want to pose this to you because I was thinking about this recently. Um I was talking to Hado the other night and you know, like I think I, I can speak on your behalf. Our favorite directors are much older men. It's Quentin Tarantino, yeah. Paul Thomas mm-hmm. Anderson, Martin Scorsese, right? So yeah. we're not of their generation, so we can't really understand like, you know, how they grew up. Whereas like it feels like we're kind of coming into our own with a new generation of directors that we're seeing grow up in front of our eyes. One of your favorite movies of all time, I think you said it's your top twenty, is The Witch. And that was Edgar's yeah. first movie in twenty fifteen. And then he comes out with the White House in twenty eighteen. And now, or 2019 rather, and then this comes out in 2022. So we have been to two of Eggers' three. I didn't see The Witch in theaters personally. I we've also been to did two not. Of his, we've been to two of his three movies in theaters. And I can't say that about a lot of directors. I haven't been to most directors' movies in theaters because Boogie Nights came out the year before I was born. And mm-hmm. I wasn't old enough to see Magnolia in a theater or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? So I, I just think yeah. it's really cool to see like Greta Gerwig, Robert Eggers, Ari Aster, like this generation of directors. Yeah. Kind of, like Jordan Peele. Dude. Say, yeah, exactly. Peele's a great yeah. example because it's like these guys are like saving the sincerity and just wonderment of movies. Because like you said, everything's on CGI now. These people are taking a lot of pride in shooting real stuff. Mm hmm. No, 100%. I don't know. He's just so in that class. I mean, that's who I think of as Ari Aster, Jordan Peele, him. And I don't know. It's interesting, too, talking about where this fits into a catalog. Like you said, it's his third movie. And I was walking home, you know, 20 minutes ago, the movie, thinking about talking to you about it. And it's weird because it's hard to compare this movie against his first two, even though they have so much in common. And something sure. it made me think about, because I was trying to think, you know, is this my favorite? Is this my second favorite? Is my third favorite? is a weird place where our interests is aligned more than anywhere is Phantom Threat. I fucking love right. that movie. It's in my top 10 favorite movies. I know it's in yours. And it's that movie, I can never think of a better adjective than tight. Like it's kind of a mm-hmm. story told in rooms between two people. There's not a moment wasted. Everything seems like it means something. And that's really how I see The Witch and that's how I see The Lighthouse. There's these small movies that happen with a few right. characters in a closed space. And in the same way, it's so hard to compare like there will be blood against Phantom Thread because there will be blood is like expansive and it's huge. It's mm-hmm. the same way I'm having a tough time comparing The Witch and The Lighthouse against The Northman because I don't know how to say one's better than the other because The Northman, of course, there's going to be moments where there may be a little wasted or there's going to be stuff that's not as perfect, but it's because it's a sprawling movie. It's expansive. He got the money, he got the right. time, and he created something so much bigger. So is it like maybe perfect to me the way that the witch is like perfect. I watch it just enraptured. Like, no, but that doesn't mean it's worse because he went for it. He did something so big, so huge that I just really loved. And it's kind of like impressive to me in this day and age that a guy got to do that. I don't know. No, I know what you mean, but I, I guess I would pose my next question. You would be, would you rather live in the house of Woodcock and Phantom Thread or in the lighthouse in the lighthouse? Definitely the house of Woodcock. Just to okay. observe what's going on there, dude. I mean, I, I you know, I love Phantom Thread. Uh, that's like one of my favorite movies of all time. So th- definitely that. And Paul Thomas Anderson, too, talking about directors, is one of these weird guys where he's not as old as, you know, as Scorsese, but he's not as young right. as, you know, one of these guys. And we're kind of halfway through his filmography and we don't know how many more classics we'll get, hopefully a lot, or, you know. So I don't know. He also kind of bridges this gap between these younger directors and old directors. I don't know. PTA is like our parents' generation. Eggers is like 
probably i bet he's like 38 or 39 i actually could look it up but yeah um he said to um fantasy on the big picture pod in their interview um fantasy asked him if he would ever make a movie in modern times and his responses was uh politely fuck no he is obsessed with making these movies like in like this historical tense um no go ahead what were you gonna say Dude, I can't remember the news site that I saw this from on Twitter yesterday or the day before. I thought it was the dumbest fucking movie review headline I had ever read. And it was basically questioning whether this was in, uh, you know, a really big art film or like a tryout for a blockbuster movie. Like, is he trying out, you know, to show that he can make, you know, a fucking one of these $300 million budget movies. And it was like, no, fucking, of course not. This man, <laughs> I really truly believe, like, like, I love Chloe Zhao and stuff, but it's like sad to see her make her Eternals. And I really truly believe that Robert Eggers will never go that way. In the same way, like, an Ari Aster, Aster never would. There's just no chance. I, this is like the stupidest shit I've ever heard. How could you watch this movie and think that this guy's trying to try out for the mainstream? You know, that he wants his fucking Daredevil movie. I don't know. But that's something that you can love from him too because it's just he's going to keep making these movies you know i don't know yeah no i know what you mean like his advantage is that like he gave us a glimpse of what he could do with like a bigger budget movie like i'm sure the lighthouse is more expensive than the witch because he had to cast pads mm-hmm. the phone in it like, sure, those guys yeah. aren't doing cheap projects ever but he made the most out of that in such a small scenery like you said like it is a tight space because that's part of the you know appeal of the movie is that it is so claustrophobic and anxiety inducing but if he doesn't succeed with that then he doesn't get the northman and mm-hmm. with nomadland it's like you know i think that chloe like in a way she wants to stick stay true to herself but i think she she was so desperate like because she accepted the eternals job before she won the oscar so i think sure, she was kind yeah. of desperate to like become even more popularized and also that was the least viewed oscar of all time so how many like casual movie watchers are actually going to know that she won the oscar for no medland um but like she wanted to you know kind of i guess transform the way that people think about superhero movies and what superhero movies can mm-hmm. be and she did the opposite of that that movie was just <laughs> yeah I mean, we don't talk about Eternals. um no. but i'm curious like who so we have Anya taylor joy in this we have scars guard in this kidman mm-hmm. hawk yeah who and then um I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head. He's the Icelandic actor. Clyde's Bang. God, what a Clyde's Bang. Sick yeah. Oh yeah. Um he he plays the brotherless. Um who do you think gave the best performance? I mean, obviously Skarsgård is like in a different realm because he's literally I mean, that's like one of the most committed performances I've ever yeah. seen. But does anybody even come close to him for you? So yeah, and I I know I have to give the heads up that I am an Anya Taylor Joy stand, so it could be biased. But it's funny because I've seen her yeah, of course. I haven't seen Thoroughbreds or The Miniaturist, which are two of her like smaller movies. But recently I saw Last Night in Soho, which has the supernatural thing. And then The Queen's Gambit, which I really loved. But having a character, you know, who's based around being a genius in some incredible way is almost like a superhero movie. You have to take some corniness right. with it because it's not exactly a thing that really exists. And those roles aren't going to like show you off as what you can really do as an actress. And I think, you know, I like the Queen's Gambit. It's so important for her career and her getting lead roles. And I hope it happens. But watching her in this, doing stuff subtly and doing kind of this like quieter role that fits into a movie and honestly being just so like inseparable from the landscape and from this movie. I never felt like she was acting. I never felt like that he had forced her in there, you know, because they're friends, because he had her in The Witch. It felt like she was just a really great, almost character actress who came in and could pull off this sort of, you know, 
adjacent to Skarsgård role in the best way possible. I actually think that nobody would have been better in this role. And even though it's not as like memorable in a standout way as like when Skarsgård's all like acting like a fucking wolf, it's still <laughs> like, I don't know. It was just really great and the perfect performance for this movie. So I really think her, I, and once again, I'm a stand, so you can take that as bias, but I think that her performance in a different way was just as good as Skarsgård's. I think you encapsulated that really well. She is, she has like character actor talent, like Philip Seymour Hoffman is like the greatest character actor of all time. Like every yeah. character that he, he creates and is a part of the invention of, it feels so true to not just himself, but true to the character as well, and true to the movie. And with Anya, yeah. it's like she has that same kind of talent, except she just looks like an A plus list movie star, like kind of like Brad yeah. Pitt in a way. Like Pitt has that. Like, <laughs> no, you, can't really really separate, you can't really separate Pitt from like how fucking hot Brad Pitt is. But you're also mm -hmm. like when you watch him as Cliff Booth, you're like, oh my god, this like this guy's he's transforming the medium in front of our eyes. It's like this is unbelievable. Um, but yeah, let's talk about Skarsgård really quick because um, sure. I don't know where this is gonna rank. In, like <laughs> my favorite like action movie performances of all time. But like I just rewatched Gladiator last year with Jake Lenz, and that movie re-inspired something in me. Like where I I kind of got tired of the action movies, the hero trope all of that kind of stuff. And then I rewatched Gladiator mm -hmm. and I was like, fucking A, dude. Like, this is just so badass. It fires me up. It makes me want to take my yeah. shirt off and get a six-pack. Skarsgård takes that to, like, a whole new level for me. Maybe it's because it's more modern and I have a relationship to this guy that I really don't have with Russell Crowe, despite Russell Crowe being in way more movies. But, you know, yeah. I'm familiar with Skarsgård from Big Little Lies, the three episodes of True Blood that I watch or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But, I mean, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know, like – <laughs> can anybody I else tried. do this like like this motherfucker like became a wolf and it's like yeah. i don't know any other guys that are in his realm like that age group that are like actually going to be convincing enough to be a wolf man i legitimately don't know i don't know how you get this casting this right did he just have people send in right. like little videos of them screaming at the top of their lungs and he's just like scars guards the only guy that can pull this off because well, I, don't I think know. that Skarsgård, this is a passion project for him because I think he's like one of the mm -hmm. main producers. Like he helped fund the Bro, movie. Oh, is he really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes so much sense. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. He's really good. It's wild because his first scenes are literally him like being a werewolf. He's just fucking screaming his head off. And then I don't know. It was, and, as and it's as kind of funny movie, at first. Like you're watching it happen. You're yeah, like, oh my God, is. these guys are like goofy for this. Like this is stupid. And then they start zooming in closer to him and you're like, oh my God, this is going down right now. Like, he actually no, might just, like, be Beowulf. And it's funny because to say that it's funny, just on a quick note, because there was some laughs in my theater. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah this guy, like, definitely is taking everything. The way the witch is so, like, you know, every line of dialogue from the witch is something he found in, like, Puritan writings. And the Northman had that. They also had that dark comedy sometimes where you just can't help but laugh at the screen. Like, what is this? Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I think it's very purposeful. And Skarsgård could really, like, do both things. It's so crazy to think that you could watch this performance and be like, I believe that this guy is a is a Viking, that he would do this. This all makes sense. This tracks. He could take down this whole village. Just fucking spoilers. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he, was just, he was just incredible. Also, that man must have just been in the gym all night, all day. Like, huge. Yeah, the Absolutely conversation huge. around whether or not he used steroids or not, I don't even care because it worked. <laughs> he looks so good. And I can't imagine him ever not looking this good again because, like, no, me neither. I mean, like, I kind of want to talk about the action sequences for a second and just, like, mm -hmm. how, like where they exist and, like, the pinnacle of action sequences. Because in the trailer, yeah. I know you probably felt the same thing where um, 
somebody behind like a gated fence throws a spear at him and he catches the spear and returns it right to the guy's fucking chest. And then you would think that would be like the coolest thing you see in the movie. And it's like the 15th coolest thing you see in the movie. It's like right after that, he fucking scales that wall with nothing but a hatchet. And you're like, oh my God, Alexander Skarsgård is actually scaling a wall right now. Like there's no way there's a prop lifting him up. Like he's doing this shit. One that's maybe one of the coolest moments I've ever seen in a trailer where like this movie is going to be the bomb when he catches that spear and throws it back. And you're so right. That wasn't one of the best things in the movie. And it adds such a cool layer to this action to know that Robert Eggers like didn't make this up. If there's a guy scaling a wooden wall and taking out a village, you know that somewhere in some text this happened, that he read about this. Right. This is the way that bandits attack villages. And not to be like some pretentious, you know, this movie, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But that does add a cool layer to it, to think that this guy isn't just making this up. He's talking about the way that people really live. Like, I don't know. That just adds such a really, really neat aspect to it that makes it also so rewatchable to go back and think that every moment holds so much history and whatever is a really interesting way to do a movie that I think will make it sort of timeless because you can always go back to these and say that they're in a way like capsules of history that he's really recreating in the best way that he can at these times. I'm dying to see this movie again. Um, and I think that part of it is like the way that I wasn't dying to see the lighthouse again. Um, I wanted to see the lighthouse mm-hmm. again because I wanted to see it with subtitles because I couldn't sure. understand yeah. a lot of it in the theater. <laughs> yeah. This movie, I think it does a lot better job of like the dialect being more literate and tolerable where it's like, I, he I is agree. using that like, that folkloric language but at the same time it's like it seems like pretty common english a lot of the time and maybe that's because skarsgård and anya you know just like are coming through clearer than crazed willem dafoe like yeah he's really on another fucking level in that movie so it's like i mean he's spinning half the time he's talking and he's got that big ass beard and it feels like he's talking mm-hmm. with hair in his mouth whereas with this movie it's like oh no the only person i didn't really understand is bjork as the uh, witch in his dreams or whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I guess we can kind of venture into spoiler territory here for a little bit. So if you haven't seen The Northman yet, go fucking see it. But Evan and I are going to talk about a few spoilerish things. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did you think about like the... I-, I think somebody made an interesting point about, in Agers' movies, like magical realism and realism exist together. They're not separate. That's Yeah. <clears throat> The black and white for the dream sequences and specifically the sequence where he gets the sword from that like skull person like that like fucking dead king or whatever it was what did you think of this because i'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around that like whether or not i believed it to be true to his events and like he actually experienced them or if it was just something that happened in his mind i think the way that you said that realism and magical realism are blended is really a really good way of putting it the way i see this and the way i see the witch are that it's readings of like folklore and text as if the people's beliefs and as if the things that you know come across as exaggerated now are real so when people uh-huh. in the witch you know these things that witches have done or whatever and all these different folklores it's not questioned in the world of the movie i don't think we're supposed to look at it and think right. you know is this real is this happening this is just a retelling of the way that they saw the world and the way that these stories worked in that world and these are it's interesting you know everybody talk like every like faith is everything's so philosophical today i think sorry there's a fire truck coming by <laughs> um it just adds to the suspense of this pod. So much suspense. So what I was going to say is that everything's so philosophical today, you know, questioning is God real, wherever you fall in that. 
to these people, it's not a question. You know, these things are real. Valhalla exists. These are aspects of life that are part of life. It's not like you have life and you have faith. You have the same thing. They all work together. And so I think it's really important in these movies that it's sort of not supposed to be questioned. You know, this is a part of the world and this is the way that they saw it. Whether you as a 21st century viewer can accept that, I think is sort of the question. Um, but that's where I love that idea of magical realism and realism just working together. I love that reading because like, I guess I don't really think about it in the way that like they didn't have any sources of entertainment. Like the only entertainment that they have mm-hmm. in this is those two singers and they're all dancing around before like their orgy or whatever it is for all the slaves and whatnot. But like, yeah, they didn't like have any like um, conspiracy theorists or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. AD. It's like, they didn't have a, you know, Fox news where like Tucker Carlson is like trying to bend their thoughts or anything like that and convince yeah. people otherwise of what they're supposed to believe or what they think they are supposed to believe and i I guess i kind of wanted to talk about like um there's a really cool moment in here where as a catholic um seeing people back then kind of question the legitimacy of christianity and they do Mm -hmm. it in such a subtle and quick way where one of the um people on the brothers um community farm kingdom whatever you want to call it says to him he's like those fucking christians all they do is they worship a corpse on a piece of tree and it's like damn that's like a very grounding way to think about like the way that we mystify and give a legacy to a guy who was crucified so i just thought that was really cool too um okay so this is a really big question but like and i know it's gonna be hard because you just fucking saw it so like you still have like that that in adrenaline hangover going for you but like, yeah yeah where does it where does this rank in eggers filmography and then do you think this could be like a top 50 top 75 movie for you so i would say that right now i don't know that's really hard i'm really having a tough time ranking it kind of from what i said earlier in the way that it's so different while so similar i i am a, a witch above lighthouse guy the witch is kind of unassailable yep. to me um and i think that the northman is definitely going to be number two it's weird because this movie is going to be so rewatchable because unlike the witch or even the lighthouse there's so much momentum from the action and excitement to carry you through sort of the history lesson which i love both of those but i think that that'll make this movie in the end i watch the witch you know once a year i could watch this you know once every four or five months like i could watch this right. you know all the time i think um which is really exciting. I do think something, and I want to ask you too where it ranks in yours, but I also want to bring up something really quick, talking about big budget movies. Something that brought me out of this movie a little bit, and it's not really his fault. Um, It's just the way that the budget works for a movie like this. Some of the CGI stuff kind of pulled me out of the movie. There were some scenes I really liked, like when they're sort of sailing off to Valhalla on the horse. I thought that worked really well. Some other stuff like kind of the foxes and things that I can't remember off the top of my head in the first half of the movie or first third of the movie, there was a few CGI things where I was like, okay, this is like pretty, I don't know, a little distracting, a little like this is not great. And I know that that's a budget thing and how much you can spend on these incredibly, you know, expensive things like CGI creating a fucking fox. But um, that pulled me out of it a little bit. It's kind of my only like surface level knock that I have without thinking about it more. Um, but yeah, what do you think about that? And also, where is it in yours, in your, in your list? Um, I'm did, did you have the same issue with that in the Green Knight? Because like the Green Knight has the yeah. giants, the fox. It's very, okay. very similar to that. Same style of CGI too. You know, I don't know what that is. It's like, it's like, it's like they hyper realistic, but like also like cartoony at the same time. I know what you yeah, mean. Yeah, like which the is fox, like weird. The like, fox doesn't look like a real fox. It looks like a fox that could talk. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, they're trying to make it. And it's funny because then you watch, like, 80s movies. It's like, ah, sometimes I just like the fact that, like, this is clearly a fucking puppet. Like, there's something yeah, about right. not trying to, like, convince me. And then there's the other end of that, which is, like, the direwolves in Game of Thrones, which they famously couldn't put in many episodes because it's actually so expensive to CGI. Them. Right. Like, so that's tough. And I'm not really – the only knock that I could take that against him is, like, someone i'm sure like robert eggers has so much knowledge of movies and how much they cost and budgets he had to he had to know some of the stuff that was going to be cgi what it was going to look like i would think um right when you're so i guess the, sure. yeah so you have to work that into your creative decisioning i guess um just kind of looking at it from like the wider landscape i would say that the northmen if we're talking about it in the same conversation as um the rest of peel movies osters eggers own movies and then I guess we'll just group those three together because Greta kind of stands alone because she only has Lady Bird and Little Women so far. Um, I would say that's probably like in that top three or four range for me, like right in the Mm -hmm. same conversation as Get Out. Um, I loved Hereditary so much. I think that's like, I I don't know if I'll ever be able to watch that movie again, but I thought it was like (laughs) so disciplined and so fucking just, I I just respect it when somebody just fucking goes for it and they execute everything perfectly. And Tony yeah. Collette in that movie is like it. That's what Skarsgård reminded me of. It was like Collette yeah, in that movie, no, where she's like, really she is giving her all, screaming her lungs out, and it feels like everything is like coming from her belly rather than just like her brain. It's like, oh, that's this a is great like, comparison. Somebody's exercising some vengeance in this movie. And my other thing was, is this movie made me rethink the way that I thought about Batman or the Batman with Robert Pattinson. Mm, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that movie is fucking soft as baby shit compared to this movie. Yeah. I was like, I was so sorry. He just just looks like an emo bitch now. Like now that I've seen (laughs) Skarsgård, like it's like not even the same comparison as according to vengeance. No, I agree. I mean, I was so, so on that movie, but I, I also love that hereditary comparison because that's another movie that's just like tight. You watch that and every scene is just compelling and you go walk away. Like there was not a moment wasted in that. Um, another movie that cuts through that sort of that fatigue fog because it's just so like in your face like oh my fucking god i can't turn my eyes away from the screen um sometimes in a bad way but that movie is also incredible um i don't know where do you think that he goes from here does he have you know a fourth do you where does he where do, where's his where's his slip up gonna be you know it's like is he gonna have one everybody has him i don't know i don't know because like i think that you know there's that's the thing is like people are supposed to have slip-ups but now we're in a day and age where like all of these directors have so much information about the history of movie making they can read anything on the internet that like i think that they're so much more knowledgeable now like i think the the mistake that these directors like him like ari and peel could make is like trying to go for the limited series like carrot yeah yeah like that could be the issue it's like (laughs) i don't know if i could watch eight hours of the Northman because I loved it so much for mm-hmm. 140 minutes that this story, it would have gotten exhausting if it was a five episode miniseries rather than just a one-time experience in a movie theater that I want to return to again and again and again. I agree. I think that, I, I think that if he had a slip up or if Ari Aster had a slip up, it'll be more like Magnolia, which, you know, is a movie that I really, really love. And it's not exactly right. a slip up, but it's where the director went for it so hard that he overshot a little bit. And I think that right. we'll get an Eggers movie like that probably where it's like, especially now, because I think this movie will make enough money that he'll get Northman like money again. And I think that if anything bad could happen, it's where he makes that movie 
that's not so tight. That's like, I love pretty much every scene in Magnolia, but it's just like, there's like a little bit too much here. Like you did one line of cocaine too much when you wrote this movie. Like, it's right. just like, I don't know, even though I, I, I truly, truly love that movie. Um, that's the kind of thing that I could see getting from them. But in this day and age when every, so many movies are boring, I think I would love a made a slip up that's an overshoot because he'd still be going for it. It'd, it'd be interesting anyway. So I'm always excited I for think- movies. I think that, that the other thing about that is, like, I don't know if a director like Eggers or Oscar, I guess Peel has kind of reached this status, or Bond mm-hmm. maybe even. Um, but, like, in yeah. 1999, like, directors were everything to people that watch movies. They're, like, they revered Paul Thomas Anderson as a god after seeing Buggy Nights. And so the expectations for Magnolia were so high that when, but, like, when people go see The Northman now, despite Eggers having made The Witch in The Lighthouse, like, he still doesn't carry the same weight 2022 that pta carried in 99 and so you know the, yeah. the lighthouse isn't necessarily boogie nights or anything like that it's not eccentric it's not like he was like doing a bunch of interviews around it or anything like that he wasn't going on fallon or kimmel or whatever um and he wasn't putting tom cruise on infomercials at 4 a.m either um <laughs> which is just like my favorite thing in the world I love that <laughs> yeah so much. yeah that, that actually like increased like my thoughts of magnolia my god this guy did everything he could to get this movie just to be a movie um oh, yeah. but yeah. yeah i don't know i think that like eggers like and all these other guys is like they just have more information they're smarter and they've seen all these other directors fuck up that they've learned from it and they'll they'll be better and i think that's for the better because that means we're gonna get i hope eggers is able to make movies for 30 to 40 years because it'll Me make too, my man. life more exciting your life more exciting and the lives of all moviegoers more exciting and it raises the competition that's how i thought about everything everyone yeah. wants it's like you can't it's like when Conair Drake puts out an album or Kendrick is about to release his album. It's like rappers are going to have to go back and rethink their albums and they're going to have to polish Dude, them yeah. a little bit better. And that's the cool thing is that as much as I love these movies, we'll get the movies that have, you know, like a little bit of the history-based thing worked into aspects of 10 other directors. You know, like people are going to take from this and create other just insane things that have elements of this, sure. just like directors now take from stuff in the past. I think these movies will be really influential. And then being able to reach a larger audience, even if it's not, you know, the audience that we hope to like hope it would be, that's that's just a big deal too. It puts them in more of the conversation, it gets them more money and look just allows them to keep making movies. And he's he's found the bridge between indie and blockbuster. So just mm-hmm. to reference that article you talked about earlier, it's okay to exist in that medium area. Honestly, I would have preferred if more people did because that means more people are going to see the movie, yeah. more people are going to talk about it, and more people are going to get the opportunity to see good movies. I mean, all of my friends know that this movie is out in theaters and they can't wait to see it because we're talking about it in a positive light. And, you know, if it was a shitty movie, I would tell people not to see it. But if it's a great movie like this is, I'm going to tell people – please go fucking see this movie because you're not going to regret it and tell anybody you know to go see this movie sincerely because it's just the best word of mouth man 100 percent. best movie of 2022 can anything top it the killer with fincher the killer man the killer man that's i think that that's the one for me that's that i'm just so excited about killers of the flower moon i am too but for some reason it's the killer for me that's the one that i'm waiting for like these are going to be in my heart the competitors I, I hope at least i hope i dearly hope that the killer is, is is better than this movie because i love movies and even if i think this movie is almost you know perfect i want a movie that that is perfect from david fincher um i'm so excited for that all right cool well thank you for hopping on i appreciate it you are the north sure, star in my life you're my anya taylor joy and um i can't wait till we meet in valhalla one day 
100%, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right, all right, all These right. fucking guys, man. These fucking guys, dude. The goddamn grit fast out there. Like Everybody's like the 20 years old, horny as fuck, ready to get their first playoff win or second playoff win. This is so a team that, like, I just get rock hard for. Just a bunch of gritty ass defenders, mean as hell. And their oldest guy is Jonas Valenciunas, who has the best hair in the league. He has That's, the best hair in the league. You said that like Black Sam said it when he came on the pod. It's Valenciunas, but Black Sam's a rapper, so he pronounces everything like it's a handbag. So he has he said Valenciunas, like it's Valenciunas, Valenciunas. is how it's pronounced. No, it's, it's Valenciunas. It's Valenciunas. I'm just in right, well, Welcome to the Fro and the Flow. This is an emergency podcast. We're talking about the Pelicans and Suns game that's wrapping up right now and some of the other games that happened this weekend as well. But Barter and I are just going to talk about this. I mean, Brandon Ingram, like the best player <laughs> in the world. Is he the best wing in the Western Conference? I don't know. Like, I feel like it's he's up there. What other wings like even Dude, come into contest with him? The game is on still, and it's an 18-point game with 50 seconds left, and the crowd is still bumping. Like – New Orleans is on one. They have been waiting for this for so long. This is such a sorry-ass franchise. And, like, this is all revenge. This is a city getting back at CP3, man. Their <laughs> arena is called the Smoothie King Center. It's like an embarrassment it's in joke. itself. It's a joke. All right, here, let me pull up the box score real quick. But I'm impressed with everyone. You know, like, all the way down to the limited minutes that Trey Murphy has been getting and, like, what he's been able to do. Uh, Larry Nance. What the hell? Like he's so good at basketball. They he's just like a guy you want on your team. They have been eating the boards like a basket of cheddar biscuits in this series. <laughs> and this game is no different. They are macking. And you know, yeah, yeah. Let's start with Brandon Ingram. I think that's a really good place to start. Um well they're like not the even running place. like that, like wild of sets. They're essentially just like it's your turn, my turn with CJ and BI. And, like, Phoenix is, like, so orchestrated on offense. They run the Spain pick-and-roll concept, which is just McGee sets a screen for Chris Paul or Aiden sets a screen for Chris Paul, and then one of the guards sets a screen for the roller, whether it's Aiden or McGee. It's really simple. And then you have, like, two guys on the wings ready to shoot, ready to score and attack. And then New Orleans comes down, and, like, they don't start running their offense until, like, 16, 15 seconds left on the shot clock. And they're just like, fuck it, get B.I. the ball, and he just hits contested fadeaways or dunks on Tory Craig. Like, it's like watching street ballers against, like, the team that's been playing together for 15 years, and the street ballers are winning. And it's fucking awesome. Yeah, they are. Yeah, someone in our chat said, like, this is not a team that you'd want to run into in a street fight, and that's so true. No, yeah. They are hard. They're a hard group of players. Brandon Ingram is like a Wiz Khalifa, Kevin Durant, love child. if you take those two and you mix them i mean everyone is in plus and i'm trying to look at what alvarado okay so alvarado was only plus one tonight plus minus which i was expecting more but you know he comes from the school of patrick beverly and i know you're not the biggest pat bev fan but um you know i like the way that patrick beverly plays but i hate his antics i hate that he thinks he's better than he is because he isn't Alvarado is somebody I respect because he's grounded and he's humble and he grinds. But Beverly is just a gnat that doesn't leave you alone in the middle of July. 
That's all he is. Whereas yeah. Alvarado is like, yeah, he bothers you defensively, but like offensively, he doesn't think the show is about him. Like, whereas yeah. with Patrick Beverly, he's like, I'm taking six shots in the fourth quarter, whether you fucking like it or not. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck Ant, fuck Cat. This is the Pat Bev show. And it's like, yo, that is not your role, dog. Know your yeah. place. I took Herb Jones um, over on blocks and over on steals tonight, and he crushed both. What was it's, it? Like a, like a half? One and a half? One and a half steals, and then I think it was... Um, half a block? Half of a block, and he had three blocks and two steals. Yep. So he got those steals fairly early on. Um, well, no, he got his second one on kind of what I thought was like the point in the game where like it kind of got flushed away. Like the commentators didn't want to say that it was over and done until like it was for sure over and done but right when like he just picked that off and then chris paul smacked him in the face and got the flagrant one i thought that was when the game was absolutely soiled i mean this kid is and i've been following him like i don't follow a lot of college basketball i know we're both kind of in that same bracket but like he's uh i remember watching him at bama and i was shocked when he fell to the second round because Uh like you just knew right off the bat that his defense was really rare and he has the size, but his speed is super understated. And we got to see all of it tonight. He's an incredible player. And he's in the same mold as Mikel Bridges. Like, yeah, that's the thing. It's like Bridges was what, like a, like a late lottery pick, like mid, mid to late first round pick, um, got traded, got drafted by the Sixers and traded to the Suns. And then Herb Jones, it's like, he might not be as good of a shooter as Bridges right now, but he's, what, 21, 22, something like that. You can still grow yeah. into it. It just comes with the confidence. I mean, I like his stroke, especially for a lefty. I usually hate the way lefty jump shots look, and his looks, like, pretty nice. But, I mean, the dude is just everywhere. He's everything, everywhere, all at once defensively. He's, like, yeah. he's, he's – I mean, he's, he's almost like an illusion. It's like, yo, like, like how did he get to that closeout so fast? And when he I did get know. to the closeout, how did he block the shots? Like he came from underneath the basket. It's like he covered, you know, 20 feet of ground in like two seconds. It's like this guy's a fucking blur. Yeah. He is everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, he's the best movie on television right now. He he was tonight's feature film, you know, him, B.I. And then this rotation of bigs that the Pelicans has is so unique because Jackson Hayes starts. And I was really confused as to why he was starting. I think Larry Nance should be in that role. Um, but I think that Willie Green, who's been spectacular, has done a great job awesome. of yep. spreading out the minutes between those guys. Jackson Hayes didn't get as many as he maybe should have tonight. He got 13. But that's because I think Willie Green saw early on that he wasn't fitting into the scheme as well as he should have. He was getting the ball on the perimeter a lot and like pump faking and like right. I, I, the Jackson Hayes isn't going to be taking threes. Um Larry Nance is playing like he needs a contract in the offseason. You know, he did six, uh, 6.7 rebounds, three assists tonight, but I swear he got 25 boards tonight. And, right. like, you know, I don't know if they're counting all of his tips, but, uh, like, he, like, had that double volleyball tip right at the end, uh, CJ. And you know, this team is built for a bit of a playoff run you know this might be this year's hawks and like i don't want to speak too soon they got to go to phoenix for game five which is going to be a movie that's going to be a such a fun game tuesday night dog 
That's you know, and I, I think it's still reasonable to say that Phoenix is going to pull this out. But if they go into Phoenix and they win that game, series is over. Uh, this, <laughs> uh, Phoenix is crushed. Like having to go back after this demoralizing loss where they got bullied. I mean, this is a Phoenix team that prides themselves on tough defense and like the Kel Bridges who. A lot of people are up in arms because he didn't win defensive player of the year. He had my vote has been getting cooked out there, bro. Cooked by anyone and everyone. Like he's done a pretty good job versus CJ, but like whenever BI is on him, he's barbecue chicken to him. Like, yeah, that's just because BI is in a different zone right now. He's, (laughs) I mean, I honestly like, it's so cool to see all of this come to fruition because yeah, even at Duke, I remember him just having the potential to like rise up over anybody in a shot so nice. I just, I love like there's something aesthetically pleasing about his game that that's where the the KD comparisons come in. It's not like he's gonna be as good of a three point shooter or spot up shooter as KD from three. Like he, I think he hit forty percent once in his career, and this is what his fifth or sixth year, something like that. But it's like it's the handle, the ability to get to a spot and shoot over the top of people. That's just awesome. And yeah, Mikhail. He isn't um he isn't Herb Jones this series. <laughs> no. Herb is out <laughs> defending him. But it looks like Herb Jones gives more of a shit. It's like Mikhail got paid. Like, yeah. He's not like hustling for that contract anymore. That's that's part of this stuff. It's like we underestimate that. It's like once some dudes get paid, like, yeah, we know that like, you know, Mikhail Bridges is like consistent and all that kind of stuff. But this series, he's lacking a little bit. Like Cam Johnson's been like Playing lackluster on offense and defense, his shooting hasn't been great. I think, like, kind of what stands out to me is like, I'm looking at the team stats. I always like to look at those at the end of the game to like get like a sense of like, yeah, okay, where did where did New Orleans really too. body these fuckers, right? And it's not like they outshot them from three. They were six of I think three throws, or seven of six of twenty five or something like that from three. And then you got um, Phoenix was seven of twenty seven, so twenty five and twenty six percent. The free throws, holy shit, dude! How many more free throws did they shoot? Um, the Suns like were ten for 14? fifteen, okay, and the Pelicans were thirty-two for forty-two tonight. Okay, there you go. So yeah, attacking the rim, being more physical, and that's the other thing is like I don't remember seeing Chris Paul at the line. I don't remember seeing Mikael Bridges or Cam Johnson at the line. So like your three primary scores outside of Aiden, who was unbelievable tonight. We can talk about him. Like, your three primary scores aren't really attacking the basket. They're kind of just, like, going through the offense. And that's where you kind of got to find the blend of – like, I was coaching basketball in Omaha this weekend, and I'm trying to find the blend between running set plays and having my kids run motion. Now, I've got fourth-grade boys, and I help out with our eighth-grade boys. So our eighth-grade boys are better at running motion because they've been running it for six or seven years whereas the third and fourth graders are just picking it up right now. So they're not very good at running motion. So 80% of the time I'm calling lightning, horns, battler, or dice, one of our four plays. But, like, with the Suns, it's like they're always running something. And then with the Pelicans, it seems like they're never running something. So, like, what's the mix there? Like, where's the improvisation that, like, allows Mikhail Bridges to be Mikhail Bridges? Because, like, he had instances in the fourth quarter down the stretch there, like, where he got a pick and roll with Aiden, he had a wide open pull up jumper and he didn't take it. He just didn't because he didn't feel comfortable. So he just dished it off to Aiden. And Aiden ironically made the shot. But it's like, I think they need to empower these wings a little bit more if they want to be able to like trust them going into these, 
you know, fourth quarter stretches against New Orleans. Because New Orleans is like, we know our role. We're pulling this shit. Herb Jones catches it in the corner wide open. He's pulling it. Trey Murphy, pulling it. Alvarado, pulling it. McCollum and Ingram are pulling off of like seven or eight dribbles. Valanciunas is posting up. Everybody knows what they're doing. Whereas in Phoenix, like you would think they know their roles better, but it's like Mikel Bridges was second guessing every move tonight. I yeah, and I think that's a good solution for um for the Suns to recapture this series because they're on the uphill battle now. I mean, the tables have certainly turned. They're going to get to go back home. Um, Phoenix Suns fans, I hope they were watching tonight, and I hope they're prepared to bring similar energy as what NOLA fans did because that was spectacular. I That's That's got to be the loudest that the Smoothie King Center has been since it got built. Uh, like That was so cool. But um, I think JaVale McGee needs more minutes. I'll say that. Uh, but like, is- then you have to take out Aiden. And Aiden's been insane. Yeah. Unless you play them together. Yeah. But, the Nance and Valanciunas lineups. Yeah, but I think that you can play both of them together because if sure. Nance isn't in typical, like, you know, Jackson Hayes has been getting similar minutes to McGee. Right. So, you know, it isn't like you're seeing if it's a small ball lineup, then you have to adjust. I think Willie Green has been smart enough to where he's been uh, making sure that those matchups happen when JaVale McGee is on the floor, like kind of forcing right. him off. But, um, you know, this has come down to depth, having Jackson Hayes, having Larry Nance, and having Jonas, um, those three guys together. You know, Aiton can't handle all three. And when you've got Jay Crowder playing the power forward position with that kind oh of size, God. it's Fucking just – Jay Crowder. It's just it's – just, <laughs> Fuck Jay Crowder. Fuck Jay Crowder. Always, Fuck Reggie Miller. I Fuck think both that, of them, dog. Yeah, Jay, Jay Crowder has proven to be – a playoff asset in the past, but this series is really exposing where he has trouble, and that's defense down low. Jay Crowder um, and spot up shooting. I mean, last year in the Lakers series, I think he shot like sixty percent from three, and yeah. then this year in the first round, he is one of seventeen from three yeah. through four games. We need to put Cameron Johnson on blast. This guy was so yeah. good post All Star break, yeah. and was one of the best three point shooters in basketball percentage wise. I think he's maybe the best. He was like top three, um, and not a low volume shooter either. Like we're talking about a guy that was um, a starter or a six man, seven man type of minutes where he's getting, you know, between uh, or at the very minimum, like he was playing twenty five minutes per game um, during the season. And, you know, he can't be shooting four for 12 from the field. And, uh, you know, he's well, so he was three of seven from three, which is solid. Like, we'll take yeah, that. Yeah. But that means four for 12 from the field. That means he was one of five from two. Yeah. That's where it's unacceptable. You cannot mm-hmm. be shooting 20% from two point range. That's unacceptable, especially for a guy that's six nine. Like, he's a big dude. He's not like a six foot five shooting guard. He's like a six foot nine stretch four. Yeah. And put your body um, into somebody, bro. And, you know, point God, you can't score only four points. Four points. You, you can't score. You can't be taking only eight shots. You can't have one more shot than Jay Crowder. I, dude, you can't have one more shot than JaVel McGee, who played 13 minutes tonight. Campaign took more shots than you. You are Chris Paul. Shoot the fucking ball. Get your ass into the mid-range. Take a couple fadeaways. Get involved. 11 assists is good, but um, 
You know, like we've seen that number get higher from. That's his average this year. Right. That's an average night for him. And four points is unacceptable. Cameron Johnson shooting, uh, you know, 33% isn't acceptable. Miles Bridges only taking 11 shots. I don't think – I think the distribution on offense is off, and that is – that is exclusively because their go-to score is out and they're having to figure out how to um, distribute points on the fly versus a team that uh, Reggie Miller said it right at the end of the game. And I'm not a big Reggie Miller fan as a commentator either, but he made a good point. And I will say when he said that New Orleans has absolutely nothing to lose right now, they have exceeded expectations to the max. They are playing. He said, the Pelicans are playing with house money right now, yep. right? No that, is, that is so no scary. Yep. That is so scary to a – especially to a team that has played by the book and has played spectacularly this year. Um, you know, Phoenix beats any team when it's technical versus technical, but this Pelicans team is a bunch of fucking cowboys out there just, like, running around, doing fuck shit, like – they do not care right now. Like they're going to keep on playing their tails off and having to learn on the fly versus a team that's reckless. Like they're like, it's dealing with an active shooter right now. <laughs> like, like, like how, like how do you settle this team down? You I don't. don't. Know. Yeah. All they can do is like try and match their energy. They're obviously going to be at home on Tuesday night. So that'll be, helpful and phoenix has proven to be a really good home crowd at the playoffs like they actually give a shit when this team is good which is funny because new orleans is the same way it's like they don't give a fuck about them during the regular season and then in the playoffs like all the saints fans come out they're like sports playoffs let's go and so they showed out uh, which is cool shout out to the yeah. center but you know they're gonna be in phoenix phoenix is gonna have that home court advantage it's all about new orleans maintaining that momentum and energy and i think you do that by giving Alvarado, Herb, and Trey those minutes because those guys are coming mm-hmm. in. They're busting their butts. And then you got, you know, Jackson Hayes and Nance in there as well. And so you just rely on this seven, eight-man rotation that they're really utilizing. Um, Najee Marshall hasn't really given them a lot this series offensively, but defensively he's always in the right place. He's committed. He's crashing the boards. He knows his mm-hmm. role. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. TNT just re-showed that Brandon Ingram reverse layup, though, and that was, like, the coolest thing I've ever seen. So, like, really oh, quick, really quick. We did the top 25 players under 25 earlier this year, and Trey Young was number one, Luca was number two, Ja was number three, and then we had Booker, Tatum, Ant, and Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Where does B.I. fit in this range? Is he ahead Put of Put him above Ant? Mitchell. Fuck it. Put him above okay. Mitchell. What about, <laughs> what about above Ant? Right now, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. So then he's still Not below the other guys. Not okay. So he's still below Tatum, Booker, Ja, Luke, and Trey. Right now, currently, yeah. Okay. I think he's higher than Ant, higher than Mitchell. Um, yeah, I think that's a good spot for him. Uh, what do you? What do the Pelicans do with Zion? <laughs> oh, that <laughs> fat fuck. <laughs> yeah. What that do they old do boy with that herd. Um, did you see him doing through the legs dunks before the game? I did. I did. And somebody, Jason Maples on Twitter, who's a good follow for any NBA fans, said, um, he said, that's not the issue that I want resolved. I said, he said, I want to see him do a, a suicide in under 30 seconds. 
This con- <laughs> conditioning is the issue. It's yeah. not. He's always going to be able to jump like that until he's at least like thirty or something, right? But it's like, can he get up and down the floor with everybody for thirty minutes a night? I don't think he can. I bet he could give you twelve to fourteen minutes a night. But like, then what kind of rhythm is he going to be in? Because his entire career, he's always been able to play 30 to 35 minutes, somewhere in that range. And so he's been able to develop rhythm throughout the game. Part of Zion's appeal is that he's so fucking big that he's like Giannis in the way that like people just get worn down throughout guarding him for 48 minutes. And so that left shoulder move that he just puts on people, it hurts a lot worse in the middle of the third quarter than it does at the beginning of the first quarter. So it's like, I don't know, man. Like I feel... I feel really weird about the situation because, like, I've talked about this before. Like, yes, I love my Duke guys. Like, I feel like not an ownership, but like a, a sincere attachment to um, Brandon Ingram, Jason Tatum, Kyrie Irving, all of those guys, right? Because, like, they're my guys. And I was watching them in college a lot more than anybody else was. But Zion was the world's guy before he was mine. He was Instagram's guy, he was House of yeah. Highlights' guy right like before he was a dookie so he never really felt like a real dookie whereas rj barrett did like he was just canada's guy and then he was duke's guy so zion i don't really feel that attachment so i feel the need to like call him out for all of his fucking bullshit which there's a lot of like what is, is he what does he fit into this current five because you got Jonas at exactly that's the other thing it's you like you got he... jackson hayes at the backup then you would have zion at the four larry nance at the backup four um, and he was, yep. B.I. has to play the three because of his size. Yep. Um, CJ at the and one. And then CJ at the one, but, like, he's more of a – yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, he's more of a two, but offensively one, he's been the one. But, like, yeah. but like Herbert Jones, though, see if we're, like, then we're talking about it. It's like Herbert Jones can guard shooting guards with ease. Right. You know, so – But like, I'm, not, he, I'm not taking Herb Jones out of the lineup for Zion. I'm not. No. So Herb would have to play – Shooting guard, he would have to. I mean, they scored what? How many points did they end up scoring tonight? Like 120. Like, it's not like they need that much more offense. Like, what they need is to stay locked in defensively. And Zion was already a liability defensively before this injury and before he put on even more weight. So now, when he's going to come back, it's like, yeah, he's still probably going to give you 20, 25, 26 points on like 60% from the field. But, like, what is he actually giving you on defense? People always forget that there's two sides of the ball. I yep. highlighted that that PJ Tucker move tonight. I said PJ Tucker, known isolation scorer, as a sarcastic remark because he had Trey Young on him and he literally just backed him down in three dribbles and got a fucking jump hook. And it was the easiest basket Miami scored all night. They literally yeah. just targeted Trey Young, gave it to PJ Tucker, who sits his ass in a corner for 82 games in the regular season and 20 games in the playoffs every single year. But when he was going against Trey Young, they're like, that's food. Get it to him, dump it down body him layup and zion's like obviously not going to get back down by anybody but he's going to get blown by by mikhail bridges cam johnson campaign landry shaman even like these guys are going to get around him if he plays in the series so i hope he doesn't play in the series because i'm enjoying watching new orleans right now and i think that just adds a dramatic element and uh, you said they're playing with house money once they put zion in the mix they're not playing with house money anymore they're playing with all the eyes on them like Oh, they gotta yep. get Zion the ball. They gotta get Zion the ball. Nah, keep it in BI's hands. He's doing yep. fine. He got you 30 tonight. Zion's in a fine buckets, you know, whether right. he's the guy or not. You know, they don't they don't need Zion to 
score 28 points per game like he did in his mm-hmm. first year or his uh second year whatever year whatever that it was that, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, cuz I'm being here yeah it's all that's how we should refer to it any, any guy that sits out like the first season or like the Blake Griffin Blake Griffin did that actually he was in mm-hmm. his entire rookie year and then he came out one rookie of the year but yeah my bad go ahead yeah no they don't need more points they need Zion to um you know score down low but like to to do his thing and like not be the guy that takes all the shots it's like they have scored no uh New Orleans had 20 assists tonight they can score in ISO mm-hmm. they are set man and it's like at Every single position. I mean, this is an eight seed where, like, you go through the lineup, and when you put Zion in, they have CJ and uh, and Alvarado at the point guard. They've got at the two, they've got Herbert Jones, and they got Devonte Graham, who I've been <laughs> such a hater of this year. But he's yeah. been picking his shots well. He's been picking his shots well in this. He still series. gets a little over eager, but yeah, yeah. And then at the three. You know, you can probably upgrade that back of three spot, but you got B.I. who should be playing, you know, 36 35, minutes per yeah. night. Uh-huh. And then the four, you're blocked down, Zion, Larry Nance. And then at the five, you've got Jackson Hayes and you got Jonas. That is, you know, nine guys who you can seriously count on. This is this is going to be a scary team going forward. And, like, they figured out the defense, which has always been such a big problem for them. All right, let's uh, let's move on really quick because – as much as um, you know, we have so many listeners in New Orleans that are <laughs> really here listening to talk about the Pelicans. The Bulls lost to the Bucks today; got their asses handed to them again. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to like give an RIP to the Bulls season? Like, what are you expecting? Because like we kind of did that in the playoff preview, which was really sad when you guys were doing that. You, you and Jack were just being so pessimistic. But I mean, Middleton goes down. Right. I write an article. I'm like, hey, maybe there's a chance, guys. And then Giannis just goes full LeBron mode and just eats for like 30 and 15 and five. So um, what do you, what are your thoughts on this Bulls team right now? We're just straight up bad on defense. It's Grayson Allen gave you 27 today. Yep. It has been your leading scorer. Yeah. It has devolved into our defense from last year, which is really difficult to see. Um, I don't have a lot of thoughts on the Bulls. It's been a great season. You know, like you said that you want me to give my goodbyes. It's been a fantastic year. Like, I'm really proud of these guys. You know, they didn't finish strong, but that first half of the year was really magical for us Bulls fans. Getting to watch, like, a bona fide superstar on our team and DeMar and, you know, me personally, uh, on the record, I think Zach's gone. Um I don't think oh, that wow. we're going to be paying him in the offseason. Um, I think that money should be going to a like true defensive anchor, someone like Miles Turner, like I said before. Um, you 17 know, points per game in the playoffs isn't getting it done. That's not getting you the max. Well, well, you know, he's also playing at like 60% because of a lingering knee injury. Yep. So he simply doesn't have that explosiveness that we saw going to the rack throughout this season. Um, I just, uh, you know, I think it's time to say bye to Zach and I think it's time for us to get defensive weapons surrounding, um, DeMar for how, for however many years he has left. Um, I would be fine with moving Vooch to like a four role, you know, because of his shooting ability. 
because I just don't think that we're going to be able to get them off of our hands. Um, you know, like maybe some bad team would want them, but I kind of want to talk about the Nuggets a bit before we part <laughs> what they, and what they did today. I don't want to talk about the Bulls. They make me angry. Okay. That's <laughs> fine. That's fine. I guess I, I would have one question for you. Is that first half of the season that felt really magical, does that matter? Because, um, like, shows. I'm like – I'm a LeBron guy, so like you know, like I, if it's it's finals or bust every year for me. Mm-hmm. Like that's how I think about most of these teams. Unless well, that isn't you finals are or like bust for the fucking Bulls. <laughs> right, right. We'll, well take I guess we can get from like a LeBron standpoint, it's the finals or bust. I don't mean that for yeah, every franchise. I mean, but like for like Memphis last year, that was good for them to get to the playoffs because nobody expected them to get to the playoffs. Or New Orleans this year, nobody expected them to win two games against Phoenix. Chicago though, it's like once this roster was constructed. People are like, well, let's see how it can work. And then once they start balling out throughout the season, they're like, oh, my God, this is like a finals contender. But now they might get gentlemen swept in the first round, and they're only missing one of their key guys in Lonzo. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to – yeah, I guess I'm being pessimistic. Um, Nuggets, defense. Bones Highland. Bones yeah, Highland. Yeah. Was, um, Bones was awesome. awesome. Bones 15 awesome. points in 20 minutes? Like, are you wanna, kidding me? Yeah, man. Do you want to know who was even better? was Monty Morris. Monty, Monty Morris, Morris is a baller. Played his heart out. He had a 13 point, or no, yeah. He had a 15 point third quarter, which was the highest scoring quarter um, for any player in the playoffs this year to this, uh, to this point. He played out of his mind. Um, 15 points? Yeah. That's the highest scoring quarter? I think so. It I feels like BI does that. that every quarter. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I just keep I going back to BI. Said, maybe they were, maybe they were talking about of any player in this series. Um, but okay. Jokic uh, again, you know, thirty-seven tonight, thirty-seven in the game before. Uh, it's just like it. It doesn't even need to be said. Aaron Gordon played well, and he got to the line. He shot um, ten of thirteen from the free throw line. Mm. Um, but you know it. It isn't like the uh, Warriors played particularly bad. The one guy that you can look at is like Jordan Poole kind of came back down to earth. Um, I do think that the Poole thing is – I was waiting for that. A, I do think that the Jordan Poole thing is – and like he's a fantastic player, so I'm going to give him his flowers. But I think he is a little bit of a fad, just a <laughs> Um just That a is a big word. But I agree that he definitely isn't just like a guy that's going to give you 25 a game. Yeah, he's not Steph 2.0, guys. No, no. It's like we, like, have to hear about, like, you know, oh, dude, it's a fucking pool party. And, like, and yeah, like all this splash, stuff. brother. Because yeah. he's, like, because he's sticking out his tongue and he's uh, hypnotizing the post-game court girl who's uh-huh. interviewing him and, like, he's wowed people. But, like uh, – He's super uh, horny. But then you but then you look at the Western Conference. It's like who's gonna beat the Warriors? You know? It's like right now, currently, Suns look really shaky and they're missing their best player. Memphis is struggling versus the Timberwolves. It's right. like Mavericks aren't gonna do it. Jazz aren't gonna do it. They're going to beat the Nuggets in game five. It's gonna be a gentleman's sweep. Um you know, and like we're moving further and further down the line. Like, what are the Pelicans gonna take down the Golden State Warriors? Like, yeah, be honest. Yeah. Fuck it. Fuck I it. mean, yeah. The, I mean, Phoenix is supposed to be the team that has all the wing defenders to throw at them. 
and they can't stop him. What fucking Clay Thompson's gonna guard him? Draymond's yeah, gonna guard him. Draymond oh, guards him. Who's guarding Valanciunas? I'm really exactly. just thinking about. I mean, my Pelicans and my Timberwolves. Those are my two teams, <laughs> and we're just grinding our way to Game Fives with even series. It's best of three from here on. And if both of those teams win those series, I will be so happy. My finances, so my my financial gambling portfolio won't look so great, but like mm-hmm. I don't care. Fuck it. Who cares? Yeah, it's man. money. We can make more of it. You can't exactly. make more of these memories, dog. Brandon Ingram and Anthony Edwards just getting the second round of the playoffs and their first appearances in them. I mean, come on. That that's like I will name both of my testicles after both of those players if they both advance to the next round. Yeah, my man. left one will be Ant. My right one will be Bi. Mm, two peas in a pod. Yes. <laughs> All right. All cool. right thanks, for, gonna, thanks for hopping on. Yeah, I yeah. appreciate it. Go watch Barry. I know. We're going to talk about Barry later this week. Thank you guys for tapping in and listening to us. We appreciate it. And uh, yeah, this has been the front of the flow. Thank you to Barter. Thank you to Evan Northrup for coming on talking Northman. Um, we'll see you on Wednesday morning. Take care. Fro and flow. Pels pod. All right.